0: Created live on Fireside. Welcome everyone to YNS Live. (laughs) How are you? Welcome, welcome. This is a really exciting conversation. Brian, did we meet LinkedIn? Is that where we met?
1: Yeah, on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm.
0: We did. Okay, awesome. So I would love for you to introduce yourself and then get into this story of amazement. I mean, I am like just so in all of you and everything you do. So if you could do that.
1: Well, I, uh, I, I don't know that I can make everybody be in awe of me and everything I do, but I'll take that from you and, and say thank you. Um, you know, here's the thing. I, I'm a husband and father first, period, end of story. And everything I do in my world revolves around my wife and my kids being good. So you'll hear me say in a second that we're on a mission through all of our entities to impact a billion lives as quickly as possible. Guess what? I'll walk away from all of that if my wife and kids are not good. So I have to start there because that's my centering place. Um, curious. I am deeply fascinated by the human experience and all things that make up human connection and all of the elements mental, physical, spiritual, and emotional that make us who we are. And I have a passion to really waken the sleeping giant inside every single one of us. And so that's just a high level understanding of who I am. Now, there's a whole lot of things about me that have been shaped through conditional situations, experiences. So many of us are a byproduct of the environments we've been in and the things that have happened to us. So I'm going to share with you the start of one of the most profound things in my life, though it did not define me, it has given me a deep level of perspective and understanding on those things that I care most about. So I'm going to ask you, Juliet, and everybody who's listening or watching to just close your eyes for one second, please. I promise you I'll tell you when to reopen them. By the way, if you're driving, keep your eyes open. I do not want your eyes closed. (laughs) So, (laughs) for the purposes of this right now, I want you to imagine going to a store, having a successful shopping trip, breezing through the checkout line, like there was nobody there waiting. You just, you caught your luck, you caught the fast line, and you walk out that door, you've got a little pep in your step. You look up and you feel the warmth of the sun on your skin. You feel the breeze through blow through your hair. And as you get up to your car, you start fumbling to grab your keys to unlock the door. And as you approach your door, you turn your head and you see a truck barreling 40 miles an hour right at you with no time to react. Go ahead and open your eyes. That's where this portion of my story begins. Holy my shit. My mom <laughs> <laughs> julia, wait what
0: just happened because <laughs> uh, i was there i mean you really brought me there oh my gosh okay uh, i'll catch continue, you up, i'll catch
1: you up full circle that's where this portion of my story begins my mom my brother and i went to our local walmart to get a one inch paintbrush and as we were headed to our car anybody who's known me for about two seconds and anybody who's been watching this can probably tell i have a lot of energy i move fast and i always have this excitement in life so it didn't surprise my mom and brother that i was the first one to the car but this was back in the days julia before there was key fobs so i had to wait for my mom to literally get caught up to the car, reach down into her purse, fumble through there to get her physical keys so she could stick it in the door, turn the key, and we could go on. And as we were standing there, there was a truck that pulls up in front of the Walmart. And the driver and middle passenger get out. Passenger all the way to the right felt the truck moving backwards. So Juliet, he did what any one of us would do, scoot over to put his foot on the brake, but he instead hit the gas. Now- (sighs) I used to envision like, oh, if I'm sitting in a passenger seat and I feel a truck moving backwards, of course, I'm going to scoot over and put my foot and I'm going to do it all calmly and gently. But then I started thinking recently, I'm like, no, I'd be in like pure panic. There's a vehicle moving. I'm in it and there's nobody behind the driver's seat. So I'd scoot over. I'd raise that knee up and I'd slam it down on the gas pedal. That's likely what this guy did. But like I said, he missed. He hit the gas. So combination of shock and force threw him up on the steering wheel, up on the dashboard. And before you know it, he's catapulting 40 miles an hour across the parking lot right at us with no time to react. He went up and over the median. We were parked in an end spot. Went up over the median. Went up over the tree in the median. Hit our car. Knocked me over. Ran over me diagonally, tearing my spleen, leaving a tire track scar on my stomach, and continuing on to completely sever my left arm from my body. Was, and
0: how old were you again? How old were you then?
1: I was seven. Oh. This was August 10th, 1992, 115 degree day, 6, 10 p.m. My mom and brother watched it all happen. And they looked up and they see my arm laying in the parking lot 10
0: feet away. I could throw up. I mean, like, seriously, as a mom, I, I, I mean, as just any human. Yeah. Holy crap. And the way you tell that, I mean, you're a beautiful storyteller. Well,
1: thank you. For, fortunately oh. for me, though, my guardian angel was there that day. Yes. Right. And she did not throw up when she saw it. She saw the literal <laughs> life and limb scenario. And I am forever <laughs> this woman for choosing to go into action versus going on with her day because she came over and she literally stopped the bleeding on the main wound and she saved my life. And then she instructed some innocent bystanders to run inside, grab a cooler, fill it with ice and get my attached limb on ice within minutes. Had she not done one or both of those things, Juliet, either I wouldn't be here with you today or I'd be here today with a cleaned up stump. That's just the reality. Right. And so I know that a lot of the listeners were not expecting it to go there today. I realize I've got a very, very unique story. <laughs> right. But what I've also realized in all my time of doing this, my friend, is that we actually all have unique stories. What's important is that we pause and become aware of the lessons we can extract from those stories And they become intentional with how do we apply them in our lives. And we all have that ability. And we also have the ability to tap into the collective wisdom of other people's learnings to shorten our own curve to learning. So I'll share two primary lessons and then we'll just see wherever the heck this conversation goes, my friend. But the first is I learned very, very early not to get stuck by what has happened to me, but instead get moved by what I can do with it. And what I've learned in all this time is that moved people move people. And so I'm just on a big mission right now to move as many people as possible because that impact to a billion lives is only going to happen collectively with everybody moving in the same direction. The second lesson I didn't realize right away, and I won't give you all the background as to what it is, but my parents were intimately aware of the unceasing medical treatments, years of therapy that I had to go through. And the idea of seeing their son grow up without the use of his left arm was a source of great potential suffering for them. So they willed themselves day in and day out to do what was necessary, to do what was tough, embrace the pains required to ultimately strengthen and heal me. So what they did was they ingrained in me a philosophy and a way of living, which was to embrace pain, to avoid suffering. And I believe when we all do this correctly, that's also where we gain freedom.
0: Oh my gosh. I mean, again, you're, and this is when we first jumped on, I think, I think I had a podcast that ran late. So I was late for the call. And then I, like, you were like, oh, I, I can't jump out. I don't have any time. And then I went back and I was like, do you have just two minutes? And it was on LinkedIn that we, I believe that we, we connected. And I remember for a half a second, we like started talking, and our energies like really completely totally dry. Complete, like, totally and and we and this was a month ago because we were like, yeah, okay, yeah. when when can we do this? You know, let's see where our schedules can firm up. Um, so many things, and anyone in the audience right now, and I know anywhere in like I know there's a bunch of people listening on LinkedIn. Um, if you guys have questions, please put it in the chat. I'm also going to offer people here on Fireside to jump up. So Gina, Carmel, Jen, and I know um, there's people in and out. And Brian, once we leave here, I'm going to have you update your, your picture so people can say, Oh, that was the guy Beautiful. that was in, you know, YNS Beautiful. live. Um, but I want you guys to jump up and ask questions or, or I know now that a lot of people are going back to offices, my noon show, we have people that will chat instead of being able to jump up because yep. they, they, they're listening and they're not supposed to, yep. <laughs> which I love. But a couple of things that you said right there. I mean, when you, first of all, I know that you have crafted your craft of, of storytelling, you know, and, and. Um, The way you literally brought us there, I can't wait to watch the replay because I know my face was like, holy shit. Okay. (laughs) I was not (laughs) expecting that. And that's one thing my listeners know. I love kind of hearing a story unfold because I like those reactions. I like when I can jump in there and really kind of live as you're telling the story and I can ask the curious questions. Um, But one thing that you said is that we all have stories. And I you know, talk to people about this all the time because there's so many people that I will come across and will say but my story is not that important. Who am I going to impact with my story? Now, if someone hears your story and they right away, you, I mean, you lost a limb. That's a story, right? But yeah. someone else is going to take their story and put it down. And what I always say to them is your story is your story and right. it impacted you the way it impacted you. Brian's story is, is, is his story and the way it impacted him. And I don't think we ever got into this conversation, but my listeners know I'm dyslexic and I didn't realize for as many years as how that really forms me every day going into school and being told I wasn't trying hard enough. Or My six-year-old is really dyslexic,
1: good. by the way. So I have a deep understanding of that. We're trying to figure all that out right now. So yes, oh, go on.
0: So we can talk on the side because my 16 year olds dyslexic. So we've been through... And my dad's dyslexic and my sister's dyslexic. And I'm sure there was a ton of grandparents that were dyslexic yeah. as well. But I will talk to you through about how to navigate school. What was the best thing that we did for my son now because it's more... Um, Um, You know, like when I'm back then, it was I. I, They didn't give me services. It was like, oh, you're 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 fooling around. The thing that's so crazy is, and my listeners know, is that when I spoke, people didn't know that I was struggling with mm-hmm. school. So like I can speak here, but if someone asked me to write down what I am saying right now, it does not come across the same. Yeah. And it's still as a 48 year old woman, it fascinates people that they're like, wait, that's not what you said. And I'm like, yeah, I, that physically does not happen and it doesn't matter. So all of those stories, all of those those things that happened to me in school where I had teachers, you know, say, you're not trying hard enough. I'm disappointed in you. You know, you really gave a a pithy conversation in class, but then you did this paper. What were you doing? Were you out partying? You know, no, I was sitting at home trying my hardest, but it just didn't come across. So that part of my story really formed me, And when I, as I said, when I talk to the, you know, the, either the housewife or the man that's down the street Mm -hmm. and they're like, yeah, but your story is so fascinating. And I, I look at them and I'm like, what are you talking about? It's not, I guess it's fascinating to someone else. And anyone that Dave, that you're just jumping into the room, you, you, when you listen to the replay, you're going to be like, holy crap. But the way you said it, it's so true. And you had, I mean, you had a giant tragedy. I mean, almost die, um, standing in a parking lot with your, your family, Two questions here. First, yeah. how do you think that affected your relationship with your sibling? How old was your was your brother?
1: Yep, fourteen months older than me.
0: okay. so my I have two boys, and they're you know super close. they're twenty two months apart. but how what was the relationship afterwards with your brother? If you can kind of elaborate yep. on that a little bit. Yeah,
1: I think it's important to give some context, too, that prior to my accident, we had moved like six times in the first seven years of my life. We lived in Australia for a year and a half. We lived in England for a year and a half. And so the reason I say that is because up until that point, we didn't really have established friends groups.
0: Mm-hmm. It
1: was my brother and I.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. Every time we moved somewhere, every time we went to a new city, it was he and I that had each other's backs. It was he and I that, you know, were best friends. And we went and did life together. Now, all of a sudden we come back to the States and I was born in Arizona. Um, so we, you think we're establishing ourselves back into a community, but my parents had community. We didn't. Right, We'd moved so many times since the time we were little. So as we're coming into school and establishing that, all of a sudden, we come back in the spring and like a couple of months later, I have this accident. His best friend, his confidant, his everything, his playmate was just gone. And someone who was extremely physically active, all of a sudden, I'm sidelined for six months, not being able to do anything physically active and had to be homeschooled for a semester. Right, And so the first semester back at school in the States, he had to go without me because this injury happened over the weekend or sorry, over the summer. And so how did it affect us? You know, I don't think that we really realized right away how deeply it affected our relationship and how much it fractured that trust and connection in a way that it took us years to establish again. Um, now my brother witnessed the whole thing.
0: Right. So that, that's, that's why I wanted to ask you that because that had to for him be like, like, It's such a, and I'm, I don't want to put the words in your mouth, but I could like, think about that, like fear, scared. I'm losing this person. I need to protect myself. Now, as you said, my playmate, my person is gone. Mm -hmm. So continue, please.
1: Yeah. So my mom and my brother watched the whole thing happen. So they, they saw things that I'll never see, right? They witnessed things that I'll never see. And they can't, they don't have the privilege of being unconscious through all of that experience and not having any actual recollection of it. And so, yeah, it messed my brother up for a little while. Right. Yeah. Two things happened. One, he experiences a trauma simultaneously as well. Although it's not happening to him, all the attention is simultaneously on me. Right? right. So not only is he having to understand and reestablish and process, but all of a sudden, all of the attention is put on Brian from a recovery standpoint, physical standpoint, like all the attention from the media. Literally, all the toys were being sent to the hospital for me, even though we collectively experienced it. It was my body, but we collectively experienced it. And so it was very challenging for my brother. And He ended up going to therapy for a number of months afterwards and really just trying to like be able to talk through that and establish some connection. Uh, But it it fractured our relationship for a long time. And, you know, it's something that as adults we've now talked about because we were both impacted in completely different ways, but we both experienced it. So yes, it's my story, but we all have different elements of the same experience that we all went through together.
0: Right. And your story, a part of your story became his story and how he... You know, and and I'm going to take you back really quickly to when my kids were little, um, we were realizing that my oldest was dyslexic. And it was at a time where um, my husband was working in the city. So it was me, like the homework and being dyslexic myself. I was like, yeah, like this homework, cooking, trying to do things, kids running around and him and I trying to do homework. And I remember my daughter, when she went to preschool, um, one day she came and she got into the car and she was really frustrated. And I said, what's wrong? And she... Bursted out crying, and I said, "What? What is wrong?" And she goes, "I think I'm dyslexic. I think I have what Montgomery has. I don't want it. I don't want it. I don't want it." I saw how you guys argued, and we cried, and this and that. Because I would say to him, because and as much as I knew I was dyslexic, I we didn't realize how dyslexic he was. So I would be like, "Honey, focus for a second. Come on, let's do it." And 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 it was such a crazy time. And I said to her, "Why? Why?" And she goes, "Because I can't read." This was like when she was like probably three and a half, four. And I was like, "You're not (laughs) supposed to read, right? You're not supposed to read." But She went home every day because she's my determined daughter and taught herself, called my mom who was a kindergarten teacher, Grammy, I think I'm dyslexic. I need help. I can't read. There's kids in my class that are reading. And she became this force because she was like, I don't want that. I don't want to see what happens. Now take it to the other side where I would always uplift Montgomery. Like it's good to struggle. You're gonna, you know, the things if yeah. if everything is easy for you, life, you know, you're not gonna learn things when you get older. And here are all the people that are dyslexic. And I remember my middle son one day saying to me, kinda wish I was dyslexic. And I was like, wow, okay. Yeah. I'm now like I need to do this better, right? I'm yeah. I'm 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 uplifting the one that's struggling in school. But I'm giving a message to my other two that I don't realize I'm doing. How can I parent? How can I be better? So, right, your story became your brother's story as well in a different way, but you can't help him because you're healing and trying to, you know, trying to survive what you just did. Now, do you think that your mom from the outside, because I can't even, you know, fathom, and I hope I never have to fathom. you know, I've seen my kids in pain. Right now, actually, I have two boys with fractures at the, a, a day apart in different things. So walking oh, around in crutches. Oh, my God. I don't even want to get there. Um, but it, you know, as a parent and, you know, as as a parent watching your kids suffer, um, but your mom seeing this full mm-hmm. on and, and then also having your brother there. Has your mother ever said to you, like, you know, wh- what it was like for her at that time and how she then healed herself in, in you know, you're never healed, but how she kind of worked through that.
1: Yeah. So very, very good question. Uh, and I appreciate, and I just want to pause for a second because I am always very grateful when anybody recognizes that this story is bigger than me and that there are other people impacted because drawing out their unique experiences is as important as talking about my own. So I just have to say thank you because there's a lot yeah, of people welcome, who don't yeah. do that. And it's, it's very important because my mom, my brother, and my dad are all a part of my story. Um, right. And so I always try to find ways to insert that. Um, you know, my mom and I've talked extensively about it. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I, I view myself and pride myself on my ability to communicate. And when I look at, like, the generational patterns on things that were inherited and passed down to us that were independent of our accident, how that amplified some of the traumas that we all collectively experienced... Um, with whatever my parents' stuff was coming into that, it's remarkable that my parents not only navigated it, but navigated it and chose to stay together Mm -hmm. and actually chose to work through all of the muck and noise together. My mom is one of those that in chaos and catastrophe gets hyper-focused. And so, you know, you talk about her recollection of the day and everybody always expecting, like, how did you get through that? How did you fall apart? And she literally remembers it's like a flip was switched and she went into what she needed to do to be strong for her boys. You know, making sure that my brother was being taken care of on the scene and knowing that whoever was watching him while I was getting treatment done was was going to be taken care of. When we were going back and forth in, you know, the uh, – the, um, ambulances and different hospitals. And it's like, she's constantly paying attention to where my brother needs to be, what he needs to focus on. Right. She put herself last, absolutely put herself last. And so I think that that's something that in hindsight, we've talked about, she really didn't take the time to heal in the way that she needed to early on. Of course. And so it, it, she, she couldn't, right. She right. went into complete chaos, catastrophe mode and mom mode, which is I've seen my wife do it with my own kids. Right. She puts herself last, definitively every single time. If, if, if we weren't good, it was a lot. We were in the hospital for three weeks right after the accident. There was a whole lot going on in our world. Now, fortunately for us at the time, we'd just come back to the States and my mom's primary role was in the house. And so we had her time, energy and attention in a way that we might not have been able to otherwise, but the impact and division between parent- parental duties when, when all of a sudden we go into this state and my dad needs to literally secure the house from a financial standpoint so my mom can be there, like there's all these ripple effects that we have been working on for 30 years.
0: Right. And
1: so you know my mom and I are still healing in some respects in our own relationship because it put a sever in our relationship in a different way. And, you know, I've talked to her openly about a lot of these different factors and how there were periods when I was a patient, not a son. And there were periods when I was a son and not a patient and both were important. And so the impact on my mom and brother was significant. Um, But I've also witnessed more strength that's possible and capable when it is bigger than you. And that's what's fueled a lot of my impact is to be able to see how my mom, my brother and my dad channeled and sacrificed so much for the benefit of me.
0: Right. Oh my God. It's so beautifully done. And it's so funny that you said that. I'm, that's just like an innate thing for me to be like, okay, I need to see that, you know, we see what, what, and then now we're going to go into really how you decided, okay, this is the route I want to go into. But, but I, I, as I think, and it's not even just as a parent, but someone that I know my story affects other people and everyone's story, as you said, trickles into other people. So, you know, I have an adopted sister and there's a whole story that came out of that. And there's times where I don't always share that because it's really her story. And there was some, you know, trauma and stuff that I would never want to hurt her by bringing up like, some of the stuff that we had to deal with as we were growing up. And there's a very fine line because I've talked to many people, you know, who have a very, you know, uh, intense story and I will kind of stop them. Like, you know, they'll stop and be like, well, I can't share that because I don't want to hurt this person or I don't want to do that. And so I appreciate you, um, acknowledging that. So can you, can you share with us though? So when was the time? I mean, you said that you had a hundred, anyone that's joining the, um, the room right now again I'm, I'm offering anyone that wants to come up and ask a question um, if you're just joining Brian had a uh, extremely tr- and the way he laid it out was so beautiful but a tragic tragic accident where he was hit by a car in front of his his mom and brother and lost his arm um, which is now Brian do you want to show which is reattached I mean so I mean uh, unbelievable so for you, you said you had a hundred surgeries, twenty-four. Oh, I don't know. Twenty-four. <laughs> I don't
1: know. I don't know where the hundred came from, but you know what? It's okay. It sounds I just finished really cool. the twenty-four. Yeah.
0: I'm so sorry. I don't know where I got a hundred. I don't. There was. I have to l- listen back. There was the word hundred somewhere. Anyways, so twenty-four surgeries, which is insane. I mean, that's insane amount of surgeries. And how old were you? For okay, for so this happened when you were seven, and then. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. How many years of surgery did you endure? And then every time, what was a lesson? And I know this is a kind of a twofold question, but like, what lessons did you come out? Because you you couldn't have been, you know, this this energetic, happy person every single time. I'm sure there was times where it was like, okay, I feel better. But I would love for you to kind of give the audience and myself a little insight into that.
1: Yeah, so... You know, I can't really break down the lesson for each individual surgery because they they were so slammed together. The first 20 to 22 happened over about five years. And that's where the majority of the reconstruction took place. Um, The surgeries that took place after that were secondary injuries. So when I was 20, I rebroke my left arm, Mm -hmm. compound fracture in the same place it came off at. I almost lost my arm again. And I went with my bone detached and dangling inside my arm for about 10 months because there were seven surgeons that were afraid to touch me because of medical malpractice. So long story short, um, there's a whole lot that came from from a whole lot of parts of my journey. But my original surgeon was actually the one who ended up repairing me when I was 20. I will tell you of, of all of the surgeries, of all of the different impacts, there were many lessons that were extracted along the way. But I will tell you that one of the most impactful came from that secondary experience when I was 20. So let me, let me set some context here. Please, yeah. I told you one of my first core lessons is that I learned early not to get stuck by what had happened to me, but instead get moved by what I could do with it. And that was really channeled in two different places. One, um, at seven, I felt sorry for myself. I remember waking up in bed, one, feeling like it was a dream. And then once that dream passed a couple of days later, it was like, why me? why did this happen to me? What's my life going to look like? What am I going to be capable of? And at seven, I remember having those thoughts. Mm-hmm. They didn't last very long though, because there was families in the ICU that started coming up to us saying, we're so sorry for what happened to you. We're so sorry. What can we do to help? Oh my gosh, this is so traumatic. And then we come to find out that their kid laying in the hospital bed next to me doesn't know if they're going to live for another 30 days because of the terminal illness they're battling.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Perspective hit me right in the face. Right. Because though I didn't know at that moment whether or not I'd have a successful reattached arm or one that I could have full practical use of, what I did know is that I had my life. And so that immediately put me into a position where I was like really solid and good with not feeling sorry for myself. But then what happened is I immediately went out after three weeks and I'm walking around with a sling. My arm had to be at 90 degrees so the bone would heal appropriately. And I'd be walking around and I got really used to seeing jaws hit the floor because they would people would ask me, hey, what happened to you? Fully expecting me to be like, well, I crashed my bike. I fell off the jungle gym. I jumped off the slide because it looked like fun, just like every other seven-year-old on the playground. But instead, deadpan, I'd look at them and say, I was run over by a truck. My left arm was torn off. Right. And immediately they would pivot and they'd look at my parents for validation. They didn't believe my own story. Right. And so very early, I got very accustomed to people not believing my story, not believing me. And so it really started to create this narrative for myself that like, people didn't see me, they didn't understand me, I wasn't going to feel connected. And if I felt like even my truth was not being validated, and it was constantly being put into a position, then who am I, right? And then I had people putting me in this bucket, behind the lens that they were viewing me through and what they'd be capable of in my situation. And I hated that. So, you know, seven to this next period of time, I created this very strong intellectual narrative. I'm good, I'm strong, I'm capable, I can do anything myself, and I don't need anybody's help, right? Mm-hmm. And it served me very, very well. I mean, we talk about men- mindset, mental toughness. It's absolutely something I believe. But it used to be the only part of the equation for me. Now it's, only, now it's part of the equation. Because when I was 20 and I rebroke my arm going through this situation, I realized the power of our narratives. Because nobody was there. And it wasn't because I didn't have friends. It wasn't because I didn't have family. It wasn't that I didn't have people who loved me. It's that they bought into my narrative as much as I did. Brian's good. Brian's strong. He's capable. He can do anything. And if he needs our help, he'll ask for it. But here's the catch. I didn't have the courage to be vulnerable enough in that time to actually ask for help when I needed it most. And so now at 20, I'm reliving a lot of the same experiences that I was guided through at seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 years old as a grown man trying to figure out how to button my pants with one hand, how to tie my shoes with one hand, how to do anything without potentially losing my arm at any moment because any quick movement could cause the bone to cut the nerve, cut the veins, and lose circulation or, or feeling in my arm at any moment for 10 months. So the greatest lesson started to shift because I realized not only the power of our narratives, but I also started to realize that human connection was not something I'd spent any time on. And so I started to really focus on vulnerability and authenticity, which I believe are the glue that binds human connection, and use that to really effectively, strategically, and tactically, and you'll understand why I reference that in a second when I come back, but mastered it. Got people to open up to me, bring their walls down, which allowed me to leverage my emotional intelligence on avoiding all the attention that I developed in a prior period of time to really be able to now know, okay, what am I reading in this person? And once I get confirmation, how do I help them? And so very long answer to your open-ended question, but like one of the greatest lessons came from the second injury and the repair that took place after it.
0: And I and and this is gonna sound a little bit strange, but I, I am not I don't know that I'm surprised at that. Like as a seven, as you said, you had all those people guiding you. But at twenty, now, you know, whether again you believe in people that listen to the podcast, they know I believe in God, but whether you end the universe, but whether you believe in God or the universe, you had a very traumatic big thing happened and the lessons that you learned in there. And, and maybe God was like, Hey, I don't think you learned what I want you to learn. I'm going to have something else happen to you because I need you to be able to help. And as you said, you started this show saying the amount of people you're going to help and your story is because you can even just see with your um, just your energy and the way you, you approach and talk, these things happen to you, but they don't define you. That's right. But they strengthened you. They strengthened sure. you in a in a way that you're now going to be able to go out and help those people because, of course, you could see that at seven you're feeling sorry for yourself. But the fact that you were able to then see, okay, there's people dying is, is a really mature thing for a seven-year-old, you know –
1: yeah, I guess in hindsight, it was a mature thing for a seven-year-old. I'm sure that that was somewhat influenced through discussion. I'm, n- I'm not sure if that was a 100% my own idea or if that was <laughs> conversation with my parents. But either way, that was the truth that I owned, right?
0: Right, right. Oh, oh, my gosh. Does anyone in the audience have any questions, you guys? Please, if you don't know how to do it, if you go over to the React, which is the little button with the hearts, you click on that, and there is an emoji that has like kind of like a huh. You click on that and then you can ask a question and I can bring you up. Um, Again, I know a lot of people are at work and they are listening um, on their lunch break and they might not be able to do it. But I mean, Brian, this is just, um, just I mean, it's such a beautiful story with such a tragic part of it that it really just, it it connects you more. And this is what I am all about. This is why I love Fireside and, and this is why I love podcasting is because you were able to connect with people on a different level that maybe you wouldn't be able to and I know from here you really then started this 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 career so after you're 20 after you're learning these lessons when did you decide you know what I can help people I can help people on a multiple you know multiple level when did that kind of come in your thoughts and if you can take us through that process a little bit. Yeah.
1: So not right away. I mean, I now I will tell you, I've been on stages since I was seven because I've never really been shy. I've always had a loud voice and I've always been able to communicate and I have a unique story. So I have been trying to use my story and my experiences to elevate and empower people for most of my life. That said Mm -hmm. though, I didn't view it in such a formal way for a very long time. And I came out of college, right. And I was bright eyed and bushy tailed. And if you'd asked me that I was going to take over the world, I was going to climb the corporate ladder, right. And have all the success. But you know, one of the things that I, I had to do for myself and I don't regret it. I don't look back on it. Um, but I was so conditioned to chase the what's of the world, mm-hmm. what house, what car, what amount of money, what amount of success. And I was also so adamant on not ever wanting to be defined because of my arm that I was actually resistant to using my story at the time to benefit other people. So that as I'm, sense as, sense. as I'm shifting into this place of vulnerability and authenticity, I was like, I don't want my arm to be my only credibility, right? Like if that's the only reason that I can help someone, then I'm, then I'm lacking the depth that I would appreciate in that space. And so again, I was still chasing all the what's. And so I went out to the corporate world and I had all the what's by the time I was 27. And I was, we, I, with partners of mine, we had built and scaled a risk management employment of its consulting firm to over 15 million with the span of a decade. It was awesome. It was a blast. And then I woke up one day and realized that I'd lost who I was. And I'm running with people in, in many circles, making multiple six figures, seven figures, eight figures in some cases. And all of them by the way, I'm looking around and so many of them were feeling the same way, not really tapping into joy, freedom, and fulfillment holistically. And it was around this time, 27, 28 years old, we had our, my first son, And it was about six months after um, having my son that I realized that I wasn't the husband and father I always said I was going to be. Meaning, I always said that everything I was going to do was for the benefit of my family. I told you, that's where I started. But I was misaligned and incongruent with that thought process because I missed the first six months of my kid's life like that because I was burning the candle at both ends. And though I was providing for them from a stability standpoint, from a security standpoint, from a financial standpoint, I wasn't there. And so it was the first time in my life that I felt like I didn't have the people in my life, nor did I have the intellect to be able to start Solving this myself. So I went out and I interviewed coaches because I was like, well, I need to find somebody to help me figure this out. By the way, I interviewed 15. The first 14 were an inch deep and a mile wide, had no relevance and credibility. And I was like, what the hell am I doing? I almost gave up. I was like, I'm out. And then I landed with somebody, a guy by the name of Ben Newman, very, very well known in this space, really impactful. And I'm forever indebted to what this man did in my life. It was a month into working with him. He said, Bogart, you got to be doing this for a living. And I said, what are you talking about? He goes, you speak and coach. He's like, you build people. You build businesses. It's what you do. Like, you just exist in that space. Why are you not getting paid to do it? And I was like, oh, like, it doesn't matter. Like, I'm, No, no. And I was like, oh, no, by the way, dude, I'm paying you a lot of money. Not to tell me how great I am, but to help me figure out this other stuff. And now you're trying to put something else on my plate when I'm trying to simplify. Right? right. So it was this, like, thing. And I was like, yeah, whatever. Shut up. Like, right. nine months. He kept trickling it. Nine months, he kept trickling it. Every time I talked to him, Brian, you got to be doing this. Have you thought more about it? No, I haven't thought more about it. I told you I'm trying to simplify this other stuff. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> right, right. And again, whether you call it God, the a law, I don't really care what your belief system is. I believe that there is, there is a, a unifying and connecting power larger than us. So I appreciated yes. how you said that, Juliet. The universe sent me a, a sign that I could not refuse. I'll spare you the details on that story, but it was basically 2015. I decided I'm jumping in with both feet and I ran... This speaking and coaching business side by side with my other business for about five years, summer 2019, my wife and I went away for a weekend. It was one where like mentally, physically, spiritually, and emotionally, like we were one, we were connected. We were just bonded. We're driving back to pick up our kids. And she leans over to me and she says, how would you feel if you did not go to the office on Monday morning? I was flooded in my fear, drowning in my doubts, swirling in my shame. I looked over at her. I was like, babe, that's a pretty loaded question. Can you tell me more? And I had some other health stuff that took place a few years before this. And, and she said, look, I think you let some of this health stuff, let fear enter into your world in a way I've never seen you operate. She said, I think you've convinced yourself that we need the status, the money, the prestige of this business. And she said, but we don't. She said, I don't care if we live in a cardboard box on the corner. What we need is 100% of you and we don't have it. Right. She also said, I think that every day you live in risk management, and play benefits consulting, you're dying a little bit inside and you refuse to see it. She mm-hmm. said, and I also know that every time you speak, every time that you coach, she said, you've got a little bit of a different light about you. And she said, and I know that you're not even scratching the surface of your potential, nor having the impact on the world that you want. So she's like, why don't we double down on that bet? Why don't we execute our buy, sell in this business and go see what we can do in terms of impact? And so it was 2019 that uh, I spent three months, really discovered the amount of shame that I was operating under at that point that was really impacting so many areas in my life that I had to really unpack. I'd also lost six men I knew to suicide in that prior year. Mm-hmm. And so that was one of the big questions that I had to ask is, you know, who, who, what am I doing? If I have the ability to truly impact or save someone's life, what am I doing schlepping insurance? Because it's helping me put money in the bank. Now, I want to be really clear. I don't vilify money and I don't vilify these things. It's just that I was so out of alignment for myself
0: that I did not
1: feel right staying on that path for who I am. I'm in no way saying that that decision is right or wrong for anyone else. So I want to be really, really clear here. But for me, it was very clear. And so I made that decision and 10 months later, I doubled down, executed my buy sell And I've been going at this full time. I have to say one really, really proud moment, Juliet, and I promise I'll wrap this up.
0: Please, no, don't wrap it up.
1: (laughs) I said that over two and a half years ago, that if I could save someone's life, that that is the whole reason for doing it. Um, Now we've impacted a lot of people's lives. I'm I'm sure we've saved many. We've gotten a lot of feedback, but I will tell you that two weeks ago, I was given a little bit of a gift. It was the very first time since I executed my buy-sell that someone actually told me, that the conversation, the work that we've done together, saved their life. They used the words that I said and put into place two and a half years ago. So though we've had massive amounts of impact, I have to just own that because that was a really, really big win for me to know that the universe has come full circle and that 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 has already started to happen.
0: Right. Oh my gosh. I love that. I love that in so many levels. And the thing that stuck out to me is that your wife noticed the energy you were putting forth when you were coaching versus when you were at your corporate job. And I have to share a little story on this. So one of the women that I interviewed on Your Next Stop, um, which is my podcast, it's not yeah, the live yeah. show. Um, I was saying to her, like, well, where do you think this entrepreneur like, you know, came? Because she said she always wanted to be an entrepreneur, but she didn't know why she wanted to be an entrepreneur. And she was like, I just don't know why I want to, but I want to. Um, and so we kind of dove into it. And it was basically her dad was a professor, and that's how he brought money home. And she loved that. You know, she loved that. You know, she's like, he, was, he would come home happy. She's like, but you're right. You know what? He actually owned a store for about three years. And when he owned that store and he had a partner – he would come in with a different energy. And I said, that's the energy that you have been chasing because she didn't, she started, she was like, I want to be an entrepreneur, but I didn't know what I want to do. So she like, not like some of us know, okay, all of a sudden we become an entrepreneur because Mm -hmm. this idea that we have grows, right? She just knew she wanted that, but it was the feeling she was chasing. So I love that your wife said to you, the energy that you're putting forth here is different than this. And I want this energy for our family.
1: I love that story. And I think what's also really impactful, and I didn't say this expressly in my comment, but there was two times where I was really stuck that took an outside influence, my coach the first time and my wife the second, that told me what I needed to hear, not what I wanted to hear. Right. And they allowed me to see myself more clearly in those moments. And so truly over the last decade, that's all I've been doing is shedding the layers of pain that the world has placed on me, healing the layers of pain that contributed to creating that armor. And then simultaneously, the closer I get to who I am, The more clearly I see that the more I'm in line with who I am, the more all the what's in my world are a manifestation of who I am. And I get to move a lot faster through life with less effort and I have less resistance and and energy drain, the more aligned with who I am that I am. And so the more I can just be, the more I am. And so that's why I am so committed to this path because the true path to joy, freedom and fulfillment holistically, it's not in strategy and tactics. That's what most people think keeps them stuck. But what I'm very, very clear on is the things that keep us stuck, the things that keep us swirling those drains, same drains of life, those things that keep us repeating the same patterns are a combination of emotional triggers, behavioral patterns, and environmental conditioning. And many at times, those are the things that are keeping us from being who we are. And so if I can help people heal their pain, shed their layers of armor, and get back to the core of who they are, then we all get to experience a little bit more joy, freedom, and fulfillment.
0: Oh my God, I love it. Can you tell everyone? I know that in the cookie right here, it's it's going back and forth, but tell everyone where they can find you.
1: Yep. Brianbogert.com is my website. If you guys are on on the web, at Bogert Brian, on any of the social channels, we love to engage. We're also very, very clear that to impact a billion lives, 9.999999999% will never pay us a dollar. So what you'll notice is what we put out in the world is truly to elevate and empower those around. And all we ask is that if anything moves you, move it through the world. Again, we need the help there. Um, And if anybody wants a little bit of a quick hit, I'm going to give one thing away to you as well. Go to nolimitsprelude.com. Full disclosure on this. Yes, there's an email exchange to get access to the course. It's over 30 minutes of video content to help you on this. Yes, we will email you throughout while you're completing it. And yes, once you're complete, you'll get four emails to highlight any opportunities that might exist for us to help you further. But this is not an email grab to get you in a perpetual game of spam. This is a place to add value. So I just had to give that clarification. No, I love it. Find us in any one of those places and we would be happy to help.
0: And say say that one more time slower for my dyslexic listeners. <laughs> no
1: limitsprelude.com.
0: All right, perfect. And I just have to say, so this episode is brought to you guys by two sponsors that are very dear to my heart. Together Women Rise is dedicated to ensuring that every woman and girl has the opportunity to live freely, pursue her dreams, reach her full potential, they are a community of powerful women that align and engage, giving learning, and it's just a community-building place. Guys, go to TogetherwomenRise.org to learn more. Again, you can find out all the different things they're going, you know, doing throughout the, um, the world. It's not just the United States. They're making a lot of changes, especially third world countries where women need a little bit more support. The other thing is, this episode, guys, there has been so many little snippets, right, that you've heard that I'm sure you're like, oh my God, this friend needs to hear it. This friend needs to hear it. As Brian said, sharing these stories are what gets out. Having people listen to this episode is what's going to get more people impacted by Brian's story and what Brian is doing out in the world and helping people. You might be listening and be like, no, I'm in a great spot. But you don't know that your neighbor, your friend, your niece, your nephew, someone out there needs to hear this. So what I love about this, this is going to be on Picked Cherries, which is an app that you can listen to your podcast. And so have you ever like listened to a podcast and been like, "Ooh, I love that. I'm going to send it to my, my, my sister. And then you know your sister is not listening to the whole episode. But if there's a little snippet that you can share with her, which is actually called A Picked Cherry... She can actually listen to that snippet, which is then going to have her listen to the whole episode. We know how that works. It's just like sending an IG or a TikTok. And you can do that here soon. It will be downloaded in probably two weeks to pick cherries. You can get that on iOS and also Android. It is a new um, place, but it is it's changing the way people listen to podcasts because I know I've already had more people listen to my podcast by me sending out little pig cherries. They're like, wait, I want to know more. I'm like, ha, now you got to listen to the whole episode. So yeah. head over there. But Brian, I mean, I could do this for hours with you. I am so fascinated what you're doing. And seriously, if you do need any advice on the dyslexia thing, I'm not kidding. I'm happy to... Give you my my journey, but then also what we've done for my son. I am one of his biggest advocate. We have made him a huge advocate of himself, which is really important. But there is something, um, and I will email you a couple different things that we, when he was young, because that's where right around the time, the time that he was diagnosed that we found these little videos that helped him understand how his brain worked cool. and that he is smart, it's just that he learns different. Yep. Um, and it's all at a Yale. There's a lot of things that I've learned that he should not like be doing in school. Like when I tell you I am a, this is another passion of mine, dyslexia, um, seriously. And if, if you want your wife to call me instead, like if you're like my plates too, you know, she handles yep. this. Please have her do it because I um, can definitely give you guys some some good. We are story.
1: always open to feedback. Uh, we are also huge advocates for our kids and wrap them with whatever services we possibly can. Uh, but again, we don't know what we don't know, and so again, it's about collective impact. So yes, Juliet, that and, would be incredible.
0: And different worlds, right? New yep. York, New Jersey, Connecticut, where you know yep. there's certain things that we know here that other parts, but then other parts do things better. And if we all can share yep. and kind of help, but, um, I just, cause your time, I want to let you go. Cause I know you are a busy, busy man. And, um, I just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart for joining YNS live until next time, Brian, again, thank you so much.
1: Thank you, my friend.
0: Bye everyone. Bye Brian. I'll be in touch. Okay.